prayer this morning. Uh, we are people of influence, and we, uh, it's just good stuff. Uh, as I was sitting there with Allison on the other side of uh, our children this morning, we kind of looked at each other in that chorus. Let others see Jesus in you. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord Jesus. Uh, let others see Jesus in you. That's right, including the kids. Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. We were there last uh, week and uh, we're going to go back there. Uh, just something that God has laid on my heart and going to kind of finish out um, that chapter, <clears throat> preaching on the subject this morning, uh, to open the door, to open the door, and uh, as we uh, dive into this this morning, I want to uh, share kind of some background information that I hope will encourage you, but help you kind of know where uh, we're coming from, and uh, in, in context and things, and uh, that that would be used by God to help us to realize the seriousness of the times in which we live in and which we're ministering in um, and understand that uh, God is still making a plea to us uh, to repent. So Revelation 3, I'm going to ask that you stand this morning in honor and reverence of God's word. We're going to pick up there in verse 14 and we'll read through verse 22. The last church, the last letter here. Verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of Scripture this morning. And Father, I pray that as we make our way through this truth this morning, that God, you would move this beyond just a, a message in our mind, that God, it would rest in the very depths of our souls, that it would transform us from the inside out, that God, we would be awakened from perhaps the slumber we find ourselves in today. And that would be we would be a people zealous for good works, looking forward with expectation, the appearing, the sure appearing of the Lord Jesus. And God, today, may I be just faithful to preach your word in truth, and God, you honor and bless it, and let it have its perfect work, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to give you just a little bit of background. Again, you know, these, these churches were seven physical churches uh, in, an, in an area of the world that today would be encompassed by the nation uh, of Turkey. But I, I believe, now some don't, and you may not believe this, but I believe that in addition to these being seven physical churches and seven letters being written to the pastor, the messenger uh, of those churches, I believe that there is uh, an, an application here for much more. I believe, I do believe these are ages of the church throughout history. I believe that because... Uh, 
from a historical standpoint, I see them lining up, you know, very accurate with that. From a prophetic standpoint, I see them lining up accurately with that. Now, you may not believe that, and that's okay. I've heard, I've heard some in the past say, you know, well, you kind of put a, a time frame or you kind of uh, put limits on when the Lord can return. And I would, I would just say, if, if that's one of your rebuttals for that belief, I would simply say this. You know, I, I'm not saying I know the day or the time or the day of the week, but the Bible tells us that we can look around and understand what seasons that we are in. You go outside today, nobody in here is going to think it's winter or spring for that matter. Everybody's going to realize it's, it's 90 plus degrees, humidity is 100, and gnats are in my ears, it's summertime in South Georgia. Nobody's going to believe it's some other season. And, and I understand that from an eschatological standpoint, there are differences of opinion, and we're still looking to the same source, and that's fine. Uh, you know, one of my drawbacks to being premillennial which is what I believe, but one of, one of the drawbacks to that was how in the world are you going to convince a world to take the mark? I want you to understand after the last two and a half years, I have no doubt that that will happen. They'll be lining up, pushing people out of the way to get the mark. And I could go on and on with that, but I think you understand where I'm coming from. From a worldwide standpoint, we see that the distribution of that mark the marketing of that mark, the discrimination of that mark, and the determination what you will or will not have, that is a matter of fact. It and all the pieces are on the table. It's just a matter of putting them into play. So I, I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe in a tribulation, and I believe in those things. And I, But I also believe that these are seven specific ages of the church since its history through the first century and so on where we are today. And I, I will just give you a little bit of background, and if you want to uh, write them down, that's fine. Uh, if you've got the, uh, the photographic memory of an elephant, you, you probably don't need to. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have a photographic memory too. Unfortunately, I forget to load the film in it sometimes. So perhaps that's you this morning, but if not... Uh, when we look at those seven churches, the church of Ephesus, meaning desired one, and we could kind of conclude from that that one of the things that Ephesus did, they believed in evangelism. And from the time of, say, 30 A.D. to the end of that first century, they had pretty much taken the gospel to the ends of the Roman Empire. No TV, no radio, no vehicles, none of the modern-day things that we have. It was patent men, patch feet, being bend your knees, uh, and they took the gospel to the ends of the known world at that time. They, they were, so just in the name alone, they desired this, there was a great evangelistic uh, outpouring of that modern church from, from, you know, 30 AD to the end of the first century. Then there was Smyrna. The name, the name Smyrna means bitter. It's the idea of persecution. Myrrh, which we associate with the burial of someone, uh, is in the name. You can't say Smyrna without saying myrrh. And so, to me, it's representative of the age from around 55 A.D. Uh, to three, uh, 312 A.D. And during that time, there was uh, 10 Roman emperors, and they persecuted the church tremendously. They persecuted the church tremendously. I mean, these were uh, the, the Diocletian. This, this was Nero. These were others who, who took at great lengths to destroy Christianity. Deaths, all manner of, of torture that one could think of happened during this time as the devil sought to put the fire of the church out. But what we understand from history is that during that time the church grew. And it was the idea of, of trying to stomp out a wildfire and every time you, you stomped one out, the sparks went out and created five, six more. And it literally was just rapidly taking over more and more territory. So the devil changed his tactic, and we see that in the church of Pergamum, which the name means to be elevated or married. And it's the idea that in 312, Constantine did something unique. Instead of persecuting the church, Constantine literally married the church to the government. 
And by the way, the road to hell is paved with good intention. Remember that. doesn't matter if it was the Roman government or the modern day government in which various groups are living under today. There was a marriage between the church and the government. And from 312 A.D., there were a lot of things that were instituted in the church. It corrupted the church. Like, for instance, in 375 A.D., there began to be a common practice of worship of the saints of God, the former saints of God, and angels. Now, that's not scriptural, but that is, that is a matter of fact. We find in 526 that the, that the, uh, the last rites uh, began to be an issue there and where basically a priest could come to you, you could have lived like the devil uh, all your life, but yet they came in, said a prayer over you, and because you were, quote, associated at that moment with the church, then you were going to go to heaven. Now, there's not a book, chapter, or verse that speaks to that, but that was a common practice. 593, the idea of purgatory came up. You know, that if you were, you know, were bad, you know, you just kind of you know, hung around, and eventually, you know, you could just be... Uh, uh, prayed out or worked it off, you know, and, and you'd eventually go to heaven uh, as well. Again, there's no book, chapter, or verse, but when you take the Word of God away from people and people don't know the truth, they're bound to believe anything. And so we see the fourth church, Thyatira, continual sacrifice. This ushered in the dark ages of history. These are, these are literal moments in history. Boniface III was Pope, and he uh, contributed to a number of the deaths of the saints. Christianity became very dim during this time period, and it lasted till around the 12th century. Indulgences were part of the uh, practice of the church at that time, and indulgences meant that you could basically purchase your way into heaven, and that they would give you a piece of paper that said you have been saved and all your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, and that you were, you were good to go and uh, it did not require personal repentance uh, necessary. We find the church of Sardis, the fifth church. And the, this, this church, Sardis, the name meant coming out. And it was the idea of the Great Reformation. And this type of church, the idea of a church that will that will shake out of its stupor and will rake, wake up and, and will be people of the book that will believe in sola scriptura and that, and that salvation is by uh, you know, faith alone through the grace, grace alone in Jesus alone. This is a church that will be here uh, throughout uh, the, even the tribulation. A, a true uh, sense of, of revival and evangelism and a true church in that sense that the righteous live by faith. The sixth church was the church of Philadelphia. It meant brotherly love. And this is the idea of, of around the, the, the 18th century, the mid-18th century, where the, the modern-day uh, mission movement that we know today was birthed. And it was the idea of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth by whatever means necessary. And this is the type of church that even today still exists, that it is willing to take uh, the gospel wherever it needs to go. And that we are, we are focused on who doesn't have the scriptures. We want to get them a Bible. Who hasn't heard about the uh, uh, goodness of God. We want to get the gospel to them. And that continues today and it will continue until the rapture of this uh, church. And finally we get to the seventh age. Which is really the 20th century to present. Really through the tribulation, this type of church will always exist. And it's interesting that if you are reading the text, you will find that as the Lord would address the church there uh, in verse 14, He addresses it differently than any other church He addresses. And, and even in the ones that He had great rebuke for, He would address them as to the angel of the church in the specific place, write these things. The church in the location write these things. The church in Ephesus, the church in Sardis, the church in Smyrna. The, what did I say, the church? The church. The church in Philadelphia. But when he gets to Laodicea, he doesn't say that. He addresses them as to the angel of the, uh, of the church of the Laodiceans. And the Laodicean church, it's interesting that the meaning of that 
uh, place means people's opinion or people judged. And it is representative of an apostate church, a compromised church, a church that is directed not by thus saith the Lord, but what is the public opinion so that we can just be nice to everybody and, and nobody's going to get offended. I hope I don't have to tell you that we are in that day today. We suffer from this disease that we have forsaken righteousness and replaced it with just being nice. I, I, there's no way for Jesus to walk into a temple, turn the tables over, and break out a whip and be nice about it. There are just some things when it comes to such debauchery that you can't be nice about it. You have to be righteous about it. And sometimes righteous will be accompanied with anger. And we get the term righteous anger from that. And we are living in a world where we see that the church in modern day America thinks way too highly of themselves so with that in mind Jesus addresses the church of the Laodiceans and Jesus gives us an assessment he gives us his assessment not their assessment because see their assessment is that they're doing pretty doggone good as a matter of fact uh, they think they are rich. They think they are wealthy. And in verse 17, they think they have no need of nothing. Far too many believers today that are associated with assemblies all over, far too many, far too many. When it comes to what we're going to do, we look no further then we can hire the right staff. We can bring in the right people. If we have another campaign for this, and if we get this facility built, or we build this over here, then we'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. And there is never the thought that this is a God thing. That people come to know Christ through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Laodicea was like so many churches today. It's about, it's about the exterior. It's about the building. It's about the budget. It's about the resources. It's about the staff. It's about the talent. And God does not need our talent. God needs our humble obedience. He needs our availability. It's what He needs. Having nice things is not a sin. But when we believe that, that a, a facility or means to doing things that we can conjure up on our own somehow take away from the responsibility to have a faith, spirit-filled work, we will fall flat of our face every time. And the Laodiceans were proof of that. They had so much confidence. They had their nice places. As a matter of fact, as I understand it, now again, I wasn't there, but as I understand it and what I read and, and, and have contributed to this time period, this was a wealthy city, a kind of the modern-day equivalent to, you know, a, a New York, a place of great economic uh, influence, lots of people going in and out. And so it was just a nation thriving, and they had as many amenities that could be afforded to them in the time of history in which they lived. They had their medical university. They had their medicines. They had their ointments, and particularly the, the whole ISAV. And, and you see why Christ mentions this a little later. But if, they, if there was a problem, we'll talk to the experts. They've got a solution. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? If we can just elect the right people, they're somehow just going to usher in righteousness. Oh, we just look to November. There's going to be this red wave that's going to save us. Don't, don't buy that. Don't buy that. You, you can argue that things might be better, but we're not talking about better. 
We're talking about right. We're talking about what's wrong. We're talking about the will of God. And there is not a political solution for that. Period. Not say, I'm not saying it's not important, but there is not a political solution for what is wrong with our nation. It's not. And the same problem that Laodicea had, we have. We trust too much in what we have done. Great architecture. Oh, ain't it beautiful? Sure. Yeah, it's beautiful. It looks like everything the Romans did. Practically identical. Just look around. Got to put a column on everything. Whose idea was that? It's not an American thing. Practically 2,000 year old thing. Art Deco. You're just robbing that from another part of history. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Yeah, nothing. No, there is new under the sun. There's just new people under the sun that don't get it. But there is nothing new under the sun. We're just we're just as sinful and wretched. As, as we've always been. And, and we get haughty and we get prideful and we look to our major industries, we look to our institutions that we trust. They were the center of banking. They were the center of, of uh, fashion, man. Great number of exports, the best people, all the new modern technology, and they had no need of nothing. If there's a problem today, we just look north to a city covered in that stuff that pigeons do, and that's where the solution's going to come from. Or we look to the gold dome in Georgia up there. Somebody's going to do something. Somebody's going to solve the problem. We are so much like these people in believing we are fully clothed we're wealthy we have no need of nothing and the Lord said I have a much different assessment he said you are sick you are perverted you are a counterfeit and there is no security in those things he says you think you think you're clothed you think you're rich no, his assessment was very much different. He says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. In other words, Jesus said, everything you think is a counterfeit of what is the reality. You are looking to your own self. You're looking to your own ability to solve your problem. And we do it today. When everything else fails, well, let's consult Jesus. Is there any wonder why we're in the shape that we're in? Again, say, God, you know, 60 years ago, we don't need your word. We don't need to pray. And uh, we have no respect for life. It's the, the, the sum of life is make sure you do every single thing you want to do and then when you grow up, you'll have opportunities that you can start putting things together. But it'll be on your terms. I mean, you know, God will have to accept you the way you determine God will accept you because He's just God. He's just sovereign. He's just the creator of the universe. He has really no opinion is our mantra today. Yeah, God, you, you can, you're lucky to have me. You can accept me, God. But, but this, over, this area of my life, that's off limits, Lord. This, this indulgence of mine over here, this sinful perversion of the flesh, this is mine. I don't want you messing with that. You know, I just, I, just want to, I just want to do my thing, God. I'll show up every now and then. I'll contribute in some way. But, you know, I'll just, you know, me and the man upstairs, we got our own thing figured out. I bet you do. Christ says, there's no security in those things. And Christ said, I know your works, that you're neither cold or hot, and I could wish that you were one or the other, but you, but you so disgust me that I'll vomit you out of your mouth. It's kind of like, you know, 
traditionally, uh, you, drink, you drink coffee hot, you drink coffee cold, but you don't drink it at room temperature. Most people don't. It, it just, you, know, you expecting hot coffee? Nah. Now, there's, there's, there's a little more to that as to why Christ said that. Here, here, here's, a, here's a big, wealthy city, civilization here, but yet they have a problem, kind of like the, the problem that we've had. We've had with the water. <laughs> they don't have their own water supply, so they have to they have to create these aqueducts to bring water into the city. And history tells me that it comes from a spring. Uh, some have said uh, some of the water supply came from cool springs. Some of the uh, water come from hot springs. I don't know. I wasn't there. But they had to create aqueducts to get the water into the city. And the thing about it is whether it was cool or whether it was hot, by the time it reached the city, it was all air temperature, just lukewarm. And so if you were, you know, in Laodicea, you never knew what it was like to drink a cool glass of spring water. It was always lukewarm. And uh, Christ knew that. And so he puts something into their minds that they can relate to and understand. In other words, you know how disgusting your water is? That's how disgusting your works are. You think you're rich. You think you have, are, are wealthy. You have all of these things, and yet you are naked, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind, you have no idea. Not my assessment. Not some historian's assessment. Christ's assessment. Christ's assessment. Christ believes in absolute truth. So do I. And if you don't, go jump off the building. Not a high building, but, you know, jump off of something and you will realize gravity is true. Right? Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. We see truth everywhere, absolute truth. Christ believed in absolute truth. He taught truth, and he is giving them a true, honest assessment of where they're at. So what then, after assessing the situation, you go to the doctor, you got a problem, you want the doctor to come in, check, you breathe in, you know, let me say, back, you know, all right, stick your leg out, boom, you know, okay, you got reflexes, that's great, you're alive, you know, pulse, all this good stuff. You're checking out, so what did you come in here for today? Well, I got so-and-so, I don't feel this. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a prescription for this, that, and the other. Go to Moon's down there, get it filled. They'll compound it for you, give it to you five different ways. If you want it, one pill, three pills, five pills, whatever. They'll give it to you any way you want to because that's, that's how we roll. But go to the doctor. If you're sick, you get a prescription, you take the prescription. That's the way it should work, right? Christ assesses their problem. And you know what he does? He gives them an antidote. He writes them a prescription. He writes the church in modern day, wherever today, the modern day Laodicean church, he writes an antidote to them just like he does to us today. And first of all, he identified their idols, their counterfeits. Remember, he said, you see that you have no need of nothing because you're wealthy, you're rich, you have all these things. But he said, my assessment is much different. And he gives them an antidote. He says, the first thing you have to realize is there are counterfeits in your life. And he says, I am the real deal. Christ is the bondage breaker, folks. He is. He's the sin slayer. Not a bunch of other programs, not a bunch of other stuff. All that has its place. But at the end of the day, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Period. The antidote is simple. You have idols. You're worshiping the world in which you live in and you place all your hope and expectations in these things and they are counterfeits. He says, I am the real deal. Why do you know that? Because he says to them, the antidote is that you would do what? Buy from me gold that's been refined. It's not corrupt. It's not polluted. It's not your banking centers today. I mean, my goodness, man, we, we look at our world today and we talk about there is a tremendous amount of money flowing here and there and everywhere and it's worthless today. It's not even worth the paper it's being printed on, folks. 
to $30 trillion in the debt, went to the grocery store yesterday, you spend nearly three times for the same number of bags that you walk, walk out of Walmart with. Always the low price, right? Yeah. You, you, spend, you spend almost three times the amount. Why? Because we've got a whole lot of money and a lot fewer goods. And it's just a simple equation that I learned in Mr. Burnett's class back in the 8th grade of economics. It's simple. Supply and demand, man. It, it determines everything from an economic standpoint. And, and our money today is nowhere near the value that it was 100 years ago. Not even close. The 401k, the 403b, the pension plan, all, whatever it is, when you get ready to retire and you think I'm going to draw X amount, in that world you're living in, folks, it ain't even going to pretend to pay your obligation. You're welcome. Now for the good news. Right? For the good news. The good news is that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. He is the gold refined in the fire. He says, clothe yourself with what garment? The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ imputed to you and I when we get saved. He says, hey, you're blind. You, you got that, you got the, the eye factory over there just putting this stuff out every day and sending it all over the world. But you need to put on my eye You need to be awakened. You talk about being woke today? Yeah, we need to be woke. We need to wake up and realize that we are living in the last days. And that we need to be serious about our discipleship, serious about our families, serious about raising them in a way that is pleasing unto the Lord. And get these crazy ideas out of our mind that the world's telling us what the church ought to be today. It is not the church's job not to offend people. It is the church's job to please God. And let the chips fall where they're at. Listen, I'm a nice guy, believe me. I'm not a, a person out here seeking confrontation, but I will not be able, nor will you, be able to live a righteous life for the glory of God and it not offend somebody. Get that idea out of your head, man. It won't work. It will not work. The Lord said, they hated me, they persecuted me, and they're going to hate you because of me. And two years ago, when all of this stuff started, uh, the, the, the COVID stand, whatever you wanted to call it, uh, you can't sing hymns. You can't sing songs. I, 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 even today, nearly three years down the road, I'm passing a church that says, dial up worship this week. You can't dial up worship. What's wrong with you? God said not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, especially in the day in which we live. Get off the telephone and get your tail into the house of God. Stand up. My goodness, we've been doing this now for nearly three years. Dialing up. But who even has dial up anymore? For crying out loud. <laughs> who is even doing that? Maybe it's something different. I don't know. I'm an IT guy. Dial up to me, man. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Maybe it's just you dial the phone. But, you know, my, I mean, I got, the, I got an iPhone. I can't get more than like five people on the line at one time. I don't know, man. Christ tells us the antidote is Him. The real, honest, sovereign Lord. That's the solution to my sin. That's the solution to America today to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ the church is not here to affirm all of your perversions we're not here to affirm false reality we're not here to affirm made up truth opinions we're here to affirm the reality of, of in the midst of this crazy there's still a loving God who desires to save you from that idiocy and that sin He's got the antidote. He's the bondage breaker. He's the sin slayer. And what does he say you need to do? What does he tell us to do? 
He says to be zealous and repent. To be zealous and repent. And that's the appeal of Christ. He's given his assessment. He tells you what the antidote is. And then there's the appeal to what? Take the prescription. And not to just put it away. Not to hear it. And to not be a doer. But to apply it. To do it. Well, there's a great encouragement. There's a great level of optimism in these last few verses. Because Christ addresses this man. This ain't even my church. This is this is this is God's church. This is this is the this is the community church. They determine what goes on and, and what doesn't. This is the, the chapel of all faiths that just simply means that uh, postmodernism has just taken over. For the most part. That's what it means. That the LGBTQ alphabet mafia out here is running what goes on in that church. That's what it means. Modern day translation. And he appeals yet he appeals yet to that church. He appeals yet to that church. Christ Himself. He appeals, be zealous and repent. That's why I'm not under the impression that we're just waiting the days out. No, my friends, I still believe, I still believe that there is time for a great harvest. But we have to, as Christ appeals, we have to appeal. Repent. Be zealous and repent in the midst of a lukewarm, manby, pamby, idea of what church is today or what it's become. Not everybody. Not everybody. But you listen. Open your ears. A great tragedy happened somewhere and they go find some pastor and, and thousands of people in, in the church and they ask him why do bad things happen? And he says well you know we really don't know the answer to that question. Yes you do. You do know the answer to that question. You may not like the answer to that question, but you know the answer to that question. The answer to the question is not, Lord, why do bad things happen? The question we ought to be asking is, why don't more? Why don't more bad things happen? Why don't more bad things happen? We live in a corrupt, sinful, fallen world just run by all manner of evil. And, and God still, through the church of His people, restraining evil. You know, bad, bad things happen to good people. I mean, look, folks, sin is an enemy. And it invaded in chapter 3 of Genesis. And it's been here ever since. And the only way to escape the effect of that fall is through the shed blood of Jesus. That's it. It's, 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 it's not a complex thing. But it is truth, and it requires an understanding of who we are, who Christ is, and what one must do in order to be saved. He says, be zealous. Be excited. Be anxious for the opportunity to repent. He says, to him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me in my throne. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. In the literal sense of much of the church today has shut, shut him out. I mean, you know. Just pushed him out. Scripted him right out. We don't have time for that. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. 
knocking at the door of the church today in America saying, open the door, man. Allow me to come in and to feel the presence. I mean, when we sing, glory came down, Jesus came down and glory filled my soul. My friend, if that happened in most of the church today, it'd scare everybody to death. And that's exactly what we need. We need to be shaken out of this stupor that we have found ourselves in today, that mediocrity is some standard. When God calls us to live for His glory, church. But there's more than just knocking on the door of the church. There's knocking on the door of the heart of the individual. He says, I'll come in. And I will what? I'll, I'll save you. I'll sit with you. I'll, I'll, I'll sup with you. I'll be there intimately with you. And you'll be with me and you'll be a part of my kingdom. And he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Repentance is a funny thing. I heard it said like this before, that if we put off repentance another day, we have a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. A preacher preaching a revival in South Africa he proclaims the story of a Dutchman that came at the end of the service to give his life to Christ. And as he left that night, he came to tell the pastor what had happened, that when he left that night, the next morning he got up, he went to a very beautiful home of, of, of another Dutchman in the area, and he knocked on the door, and when the man answered, he held out a watch, and he said, Do you recognize this watch? And the man said, well, Yeah, I recognize that watch. It's got my initials on it. I lost it eight years ago. How in the world... Did you come up with it? And the man said, because I stole it eight years ago. But I want you to know that I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior last night. And had you been awake last night, you'd have got the watch back. That is what Holy Spirit-filled repentance looks like. Now, preacher, I'm going to think about it. You know, I, my mom's birthday's coming up. I'm going to invite her to church. I'm going to give my life to Christ on that day. Folks, listen, that's... It's a supernatural work of the Lord. And perhaps you've heard God speak to your heart many times. And it's been loud and it's been thunderous. But we just put it off. I can, I can promise you that whatever God first convicts you about, the next time that conviction comes, it will more likely be less convincing. Why? Because we just get used to it. We learn to live with it, right? I know I've told this story many times, but to me it's such a perfect picture of what I'm talking about. I, I, when Alice and I first got married, we lived in a home that was just down the road from ABAC, right at a crossing, a railroad crossing. It was just a few houses down the block. And every night the train would come by, shake the whatnots in the house, and blow the whistle. And I know they got to by law, even though the man in the cab can see that nobody's up. We got to blow the whistle at 2 a.m. in the morning and at 3.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock that same morning. And I, I remember the first night that I stayed in that house, I woke up every single time and I thought to myself, I'm, I'm going to be a mess. But you know what? Within a week, I didn't even know. Slept right through it. Could have shook me off the bed, and I probably wouldn't have woke up. Didn't bother me anymore. I just got used to it. And so many times, God convicts us about an area of our life. Maybe it's our mouth. Maybe it's things we say, places we go. Little things, major things. But yet, it's a big deal to God because He convicts us about it. And we, we know we should do something about it, but, but we say, Christ, I will, but, but not right now. And we're less and less convicted about it. And we just morph. We just morph into what we have today. By and large, 350 plus thousand churches from sea to shining sea in America. And yet, 
what we believe today as a people that would align ourselves with Christianity, we have no clue. No clue. We don't believe the word. We, do, we, we, we believe there are other means to heaven. We believe there's other uh, that I can, you know, be good enough. We believe all of these crazy things. I mean, uh, a, a study, I think it was last year, 35% of evangelical Christians had no idea what the Great Commission was. I mean, if God's people don't know what the Great Commission is, we got a problem, Houston. Why is that? Because we are right smack dab in the middle of verse 17. We think we're wealthy. We think we're prosperous. We have no need of nothing. We can borrow enough. We can distribute enough. We can make enough laws. We can fix our problems. No, we can't. No, we can't. We are going to have to realize that in order for us experience God we're going to have to be right with God we're going to have to repent of some things and we're going to have to desire to do some hard things because that's the world in which we live today that that time is at hand be zealous and repent watch and pray right I'll come as a thief in the night. I'm coming for the good stuff. I'm coming for my church. Folks, I don't know what book you're reading, but I don't plan to be left behind. I, I'm not worried about the eschatological view because when the rapture happens, I aim to be in it. What say you this morning? What say you this morning? Let's pray. God, we love you and we need you. And I pray this morning, God, for conviction to fall on every heart, whether they're here physically or whether they're listening online. God, whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would get our attention, Lord. Because, Lord, we are slumbering in a sleep that is dangerous to our eternity. God, shake us and awake us, God to live for the glory of God. Have your way in every heart, and I pray, God, no one leaves today without settling that most important issue, where will I spend eternity? Of all the funerals that I've preached over the last two years, what a relief, what a comfort to know where that individual is. God, let us nail it down today in the power, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand our feet this morning. As we sing softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Will you just move and act and respond to that this morning in faith? In the power of God this morning, move. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. We sing another verse. Listen to these words. This is going to close. Why should we turn? Come to Christ. Okay.
You may be seated for just a minute. Regina, you come on up for just a second. Uh, most of you know this young lady, and you've watched her grow up in this church, and uh, God just has intersected our families and this church with her life for many, many years. And uh, Regina comes today, and she, I mean, Christina, I'm sorry, Christina, thinking about your mom. I'm, I know, thinking about your mama. But Christina comes today and just desires to rededicate her life. Uh, in your words, she said, Brother Steve, I feel as if I've lost my way. I want to come home. Man, aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful for that? We love you. And she wants to do, follow the Lord in, in baptism and just do those first fruits over. And if you rejoice with me, say amen. We love you. Appreciate you. Now, you're going to have to stand by the door, okay? All right, you know the routine, all right? Matter of fact, why don't you and Timmy both, because I'm not going to let you get out of this anyway. Because, see, y'all getting married in the fall. So you got, this is, you know, this is us, right? You, that, that show, this is us. This is us. Y'all make your way to the back, please. Uh, let's stand. We'll be dismissed. Um, 5.30, Bible study tonight, and then 6.30, we're back in here. Next week's fifth Sunday night, and at 5.30, we're going to have a, a, a movie in here uh, that will just encourage you as we approach this new church here of ministry. So I pray you'll be a part of that, okay? All right, let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Brother Steve, would you dismiss us this morning? Father, you would take us up on faith.